0: Good evening, how are y'all doing tonight? Hey, my name is Tom Trask, and I would like to welcome you to our first worship service of the semester. It's both our worship service and, uh, well, we have a Kayalphistana box tonight, so it's a little warm. I apologize for that. We've talked to the school, and they're like, we can't do anything, so enjoy your money at work here, Mizzou. Hey, uh, seriously though, we are glad to have you, and I just want to invite you, if you are new tonight, I want to invite you to be a part of Chi Alpha. You see, Chi Alpha is more than a service or events that we do or even the cool free food that we give you. It's about the people that are involved. And I'll just tell you, we have some awesome, awesome students. We're also believing that God is going to do some amazing things this year, and we want you guys to come along and be a part of what the Lord is going to do. It's going to be exciting, it's going to be great, and uh, we just want you to be a part too. Sound good? Okay. Hey, let's go ahead and jump into this tonight. Uh, I'm going to start off by asking you guys a question. Can you handle it? You're in college now. You're big boys and girls. You can handle it. Have you, has anyone had a test yet? Yes, may the Lord be with you. I'm sorry. That is, I mean, wow, that's bad. Okay. Well, this is going to be a little bit easier, Malia, okay? I'm going to ask a very simple question. And trust me, folks, you you come to enough services, you will know when Tom asks you a question that is rhetorical, and times that he wants you to interact, because interacting is a lot more fun, okay? So, simple question to start the evening. How many of you want to be happy. <laughs> yes. I, some of your fish are like, I, I, I guess? I, I'm not trying to throw you a curveball here, okay? It's, it, that one's a simple one, okay? So, seems like almost everyone here wants to be happy. For the two people that didn't raise your hand, <laughs> enjoy the rest of your life. I don't know. <laughs> but, do me a favor, and throw out a few things that make you happy in this life. Thank you, Christian. Answer. All right. (laughs) Food. Coffee. Oh, yes. Yes. Jesus juice. Yes. Okay. What do we got? I I think I heard a dog... What? Oh, yes, fans would be great. Vacations. Vacations. Safe to say, I think most of the time in our lives, whether it's basically anything that we do, whether you, uh, I don't know, eventually most of you will get married, most of you should work whether you exercise, I know some of you buy clothes to be happy, right, Angela? Yes. (laughs) Most of what we do in our lives is to achieve an overarching purpose. And that purpose is to be happy. The unfortunate thing is most people in this world fail at their quest for happiness. Time Magazine did an article and they showed this Harris poll showing a survey of American happiness. And only about 33% of Americans are actually happy in their lives. And it's a pretty simple reason why they're not happy. Americans, like, uh, we seek happiness where there's none to be found. Often, we seek happiness in Empty success, in shallow pleasures, and a lot of times uh, in immediate gratification. It tends to dominate our culture. I say that because I want you to know that God wants you to be happy. Do you understand that? God is not a cosmic killjoy who wants us to be somber all the time and I'll be honest with you for a long time I felt guilty whenever I was happy you see I grew up in church and anytime anyone would say something about being happy the response and it's weird cuz you can remember a specific person in your head right sister such-and-such let's just go with that she would all of a sudden say Happiness comes and goes. You need to focus on the joy of the Lord. And my thought was always, well, you don't seem too joyful either. And do we need God's joy? Yes. Do we need a firm foundation and a joy that will get us through every circumstance in our life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does God want you to experience periods of happiness and refreshing in your lives? Yes. How do I know this? Because Jesus tells me so. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus does a teaching that's commonly known as the Beatitudes. And I heard it cleverly worded like this. The Beatitudes are attitudes that we ought to that ought to be in our lives. These are things that Jesus is teaching us. And in this first verse of this teaching, Jesus gives us the key to being happy on a regular basis. He says, "God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs." You see the word blessed Means fortunate, well off, and happy. And so you could read it as such God makes us happy, makes happy those who are poor and realize their need for Him. And there might be some of you that are saying, Tom, I don't really dig that whole poor thing. Here's the thing God blessed a lot of people in the Bible that were well off, had lots of money. The difference was they didn't let the things of this world dominate their lives. They were not consumed by the things of this world. They understood that they came into this world with nothing and that they will leave with nothing. You see, we're all poor in some way in our lives. And the important part is realizing our need for God. And it's only when we realize that we have a need for him that we can experience those times of happiness or refreshing from the Lord. And so, that brings us to our theme for the school year, refresh. Normally, we have a theme verse for the school year, but we're going with a whole theme chapter for the school year. And it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. It's Psalms 23. Uh, if you didn't grow up in church, a psalm is a sacred song. And this song was written by a guy named King David. We'll talk more about David this year, but he's the kind of guy that anyone can relate to. You see, he was poor, then he became rich. He was a nobody, and then he became famous. He had a really bad job, and then he became, well, he got a good job. He was a criminal, and then he became a king. He was a murderer, and yet the Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. Needless to say, David has a lot of highs and a lot of lows in his life. And through it all, God constantly refreshes David. You see, in this song that he wrote, David lists all that the Lord will do for us and then the ways that we are refreshed. We're going to talk more about these ways in the upcoming weeks, but tonight I'm just hitting one verse in this chapter and then we'll move on to something else. It's verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. See, this one verse echoes Jesus' sentiment in Matthew chapter 5. I have all I need because of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And I think most of us, we have a general idea of what a shepherd does. He watches sheep. Surprise, surprise. But David uses this comparison to explain a deeper truth. We can know the Lord better when we understand what he does. And so we're going to spend the next week or two talking about the job of a shepherd. And in turn, my hope is that you will learn a little bit more about Jesus. And so to do that tonight, we are going to look at a story that Jesus told that is found in Luke chapter 15. It's commonly known as the parable of the lost sheep. Another quick thing, if you didn't grow up in church, here we go. Parable is a story used to illustrate a simple, moral, and spiritual truth. Nothing crazy. And so let me set the scene for you. Verse, actually, let me rephrase. Verses 1 and 2 kind of sets the scene for us. Kind of gives us the background of who Jesus is talking to and what's going on. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If not, the verses, yes, they will be on the screen tonight because I remembered to give them to you. All right. Verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the r- religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them the story starts off with a paradox that would have confused a lot of people in ancient Israel. And quite honestly, it's a paradox that I think a lot of Christians struggle with today. You have righteous Jesus hanging out with sinful people. See, the Bible uses a lot of words to describe Jesus. He is holy, he is wise, he is favored. And the one that I think really helps put The rest into context is this word righteous. And without getting too complex and stuff, just drop the last few letters off the word righteous, and that gives you a major characteristic of Jesus. He is right. You see, um, being right is a major part of being a shepherd who's worth following. See, a shepherd is more than some guy that just hangs out with sheep. A good shepherd has both the knowledge, which is knowing what is right, and he also has the wisdom, which is doing what is right, to provide the best life for his sheep. This is true of Jesus. He knows what is right. And he wants what is best for his people, even the ones that uh, aren't exactly doing the things that he would want them to do. And when we don't do the things that Jesus wants us to do, that's this little thing called sin. See, sin is anything, a choice, a behavior, an action that puts separation between us and God. And so Jesus is, has these tax collectors and these, quote-unquote, notorious sinners who often came to listen to him teach. I mean, let's face it, uh, no one likes tax collectors even now. But back in the day, uh, they were especially disliked by the Jewish people. You see, at that time, Israel was occupied by Rome, and Rome would hire local Jewish people to basically collect the taxes for them. So they were already considered traitors. On top of that, these tax collectors were well-known for, uh, well, ripping off their neighbors to line their own pockets. So that's not going to win you many friends in this world. On top of that, you also had kind of uh, your garden-variety sinners. You know, people who ignored God's law. Uh, you know, maybe they had low morals. Maybe they were public drunks. Maybe they are prostitutes. As I prayed about this, I always, I always find the word notorious kind of interesting. And I was like, Lord, why, what makes these people so notorious? And it's very clear. They were only notorious because their sins were publicly known. You see, it's easy to be judged when your sins are exposed to Everyone. And I think most of us should be happy that uh, all our sins aren't laid out for everyone to see or we would be on the outside looking in like these people. Which, turns out, isn't necessarily a bad place to be with Jesus. And so we see in verse 2, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law really upset. Uh, The Pharisees, in a nutshell, they were a religious political organization that uh, they were very, very strict. They held, they really held the law very high. And don't get me wrong, obeying God's law is a good thing. But these guys took it to a whole nother level. They made hundreds, if not thousands, of man-made rules that God never intended and while that's not smart to do i think the real issue was their adherence to those rules made them arrogant prideful and self-righteous what is arrogance pride and self-righteousness it's a sin and so this made the pharisees just as sinful as the first group but I bet the notorious sinners knew they were sinful. These guys didn't. And so, all right, let's do quickly do a, a physical illustration for me, okay? Uh, I, need, I need God. I need Bailey, you're God. Stand up here. Stand up. Yes. St- stand right here, Bailey. Right here. Uh, all right, there we go. Don't do that. <laughs> all right. Okay, so we got God. I need a notorious sinner. Oh, that's Blaze. He's hanging out in the back. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Blaze, just stand in the aisle for a second, man. That would be great. And then, last but not least, we need a Pharisee. And so I'm going to pick the most un-Pharisee type person I can think of because I think it's funny. Julie, Julie Barton, come on over here. Come here, on come here. No, stand right here. Stand right here. going to look, look at all the people, wonderful human beings, of course. I. Here's the thing, one small detail about sin that I want you to understand. Sin doesn't push Jesus away from us, okay? Sin pushes us away from Him. Jesus is right. Jesus is firm. He is going to be in the same place. When we sin, it drives us further and further away from Him. And so, let's, let's look through this. We were created to be close to God. Just so you understand that. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they were hanging out. They would walk and talk with the Lord, and then this thing called sin came along, kind of messed that junk up. We are still created to be close to God. And so, you got a few you got two different categories in this chapter. You got our notorious sinners in the back. Hey, yes. You know, he's partying up, he's living life and stuff, doing his thing. You, oh, okay, no. Um, <laughs> and then, pick expect that dancing from your wife, not from you. Okay. And then you got the Pharisees, who they know what's right. They've studied the law. I mean, when we're talking, they memorize everything. They are not dumb in any way. So, you know, initially, it kind of looks like this. You would... Expect that the Pharisees are closer to God, right? (laughs) You think that. But if you'll go ahead and you look in verse 1, it says that the sinners often came to hear Jesus teach. It means that they drew close to God. And so, please, come on halfway down the aisle, man. That's great. Look at that. He is drawing near to Jesus. Oh, yes. Is there still some distance there? Yes. Welcome to life. There is sin at times. But you know what? Our notorious sinners, they keep on coming. They keep on facing. They keep on looking at Jesus. Look at that. He keeps on sneaking up closer to Jesus. (laughs) But then, our Pharisees, they know their stuff. But here's the thing. They knew it was right, but they didn't apply it in their lives. How many of you know that you can be right and yet still be so wrong? That's these guys. There was arrogance. There was pride. There was unforgiveness. There was definitely no love and compassion. And probably most important, I mean, keep on moving away. I mean, I named off some sin here, man. You're you're moving away. There we go. But most importantly, they didn't listen to Jesus. I mean, time and time again in his word, you see that they ignore his words. They basically had their back turned to him. I didn't prep them for this. There we go. (laughs) There we go. And so when you really look at the situation, who was closer to Jesus? The notorious sinners. Because they keep on coming to the Lord. They keep on seeking His face. And let me tell you, here's the thing. You can be super close to Jesus, but if you turn your back on Him and you've stopped listening, someone that's farther away is in a better place than you are because they're coming towards Him and you're heading away. You can't. Don't misunderstand that. I think a lot of times Christians love to use this, you know, I'm kind of stagnant. It is a relationship between you and the Lord. Things don't just go bare. You're either growing closer or you're walking away. we got to keep walking closer to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Notorious Sinner and Pharisee. All right. Well done. It's very hard for Julie on that one. You could just tell. You know. So back in this first you know, couple verses, we see that the Pharisees are especially disgusted that Jesus would even eat with these sinners. And it doesn't mean a lot to you and me, but in the ancient Middle East, eating with someone was a powerful symbol of acceptance. And so they couldn't comprehend how Jesus could accept these sinners. They didn't understand the universal truth that Jesus did. See, Jesus understands that we are all lost. When God created us, He gave us the ability to make choices, both good and bad. And it doesn't matter if our sin is publicly known, or we've kept it a secret, we're all lost. When Jesus ate with these sinners, it didn't mean that he accepted their sins. I mean, you never see in the Bible Jesus telling people, ah, keep on sinning. Keep on disobeying God. Stay separated from him. No, that would run contrary to who Jesus is. He's always going to call us to do what God says is right. What Jesus was doing was accepting them as God's children. While the rest of the world rejected them, he accepted them as God's people. He understood the fact that we're all lost, And to help people change and return to him, we have to be close to them. I mean, (laughs) besides being lost, another thing we all have in common is we like to eat. Over the years, I've had many conversations over dinner or meals and definitely a lot of coffee because I like my coffee. Amen, Amen, yes. You are good, Lord. All right. And it doesn't matter where you're from, what you look like, what your political views are, what your religious views are, most people like the food. And most of the time, in those situations, it's going to be a relaxed conversation. It's going to be an opportunity for people to talk and be real with each other. In Jesus' ministry and in his career, he would minister in two main environments. He would preach in a large group setting like we have tonight. But just as importantly, he would minister in a smaller group to 12 guys called the 12 apostles. It's here that he lived life with them. He explained in depth his teachings. He answered the questions. He taught them. He walked with them. He ate with them. And I love coming together for the service. I love coming together as a body and worshiping and praising the Lord and hearing good teaching. But to really draw near to each other, we need a more intimate setting. I can't answer all your questions from the stage. And so that means spending time in a smaller setting where people can live life together and be real and deal with questions, and challenge each other to be more like Jesus. In Chi Alpha, this happens through our life groups. All across campus on Wednesday and Thursday nights, we have smaller groups of students who come together with the purpose of helping each other draw closer to the Lord. At the end of the service, you're going to get to hear more about these different groups, and I want to encourage you to find a life group to be a part of. I can tell you that it has changed so many students' lives when they get involved. If you go on to verse 4, Jesus tells a story that gives us insight into who he is. He says, if a man, a shepherd, I mean, if you own sheep, you're a shepherd, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? here that Jesus is comparing us to sheep. And while that may not be the most uh, flattering uh, comparison in the world, it's actually pretty accurate. And we'll touch on uh, several of those characteristics throughout the school year, but the one I want to emphasize in this story is that sheep are prone to wander. Even if you put sheep in perfect conditions, you give them grass you give them water everything is great sheep will wander off they get lost and so do we as simple people we tend to wander even those of us who are christians we get distracted by life by work relationships stuff whatever stress And even though we have it good with Jesus, we still wander. So once again, Jesus, who's smart, and He's right, He isn't surprised when we wander. See, when you get into shepherding, you know that dealing with lost sheep is going to be a way of life. I don't know about you, but that would be incredibly frustrating knowing that inevitably your sheep are going to wander off because they're kind of stupid, and you're going to have to go looking for them. And you know there's that one problem sheep that keeps on getting lost day after day after day, and you have to keep on going after that one stupid sheep (laughs) and find them. And so why do you do it? Why would you be a shepherd? What is the payoff? You need to understand that the sheep are valuable to the shepherd. We need to understand that the sheep weren't just inventory to the shepherd. I think too often when we read the story, we're like, eh, 99 out of 100 ain't bad. Whatever, forget that one. Page, you, where's Page? You ready? You got cattle, right? You got some. If you had a hundred cows and one disappeared, you wouldn't just let it disappear, would you? Because it's valuable. Say valuable. <laughs> there we <you> go. <laughs> uh. Here's the thing, they aren't just a product, they're his possession. He names them. He cares for them. He feeds them. Unlike me, the shepherd won't settle for good enough. He wants every one of his sheep that he owns to be back in the flock. And it's sad because there are lost sheep who believe that uh, Jesus doesn't care for you. You believe that Jesus doesn't care that you got yourself lost and now you're wandering alone. You think that He's forgotten about you that, man, with all these other people, would He even notice them missing? Let me guarantee you He notices He knows you're lost. He knows you by name. And He's looking for you because you're valuable to Him. second part of verse 4 proves it. When He says, won't He leave the 99 others in the wilderness to go and search for the one that is lost until He finds it? Here's the thing. We are valuable enough to Jesus that he comes looking for us himself. He doesn't play it safe. He doesn't stay back with the rest of the flock. He doesn't send out a hired servant. The word says that he personally goes after each and every one. He spends his energy, his time, his effort. He is willing to come to wherever we are because we are valuable to Him. Jesus came to this earth and died for us because we are valuable to Him. And when He finds us, He rejoices. The Bible tells us that He joyfully carries the sheep home on His shoulders. A full-grown sheep, by the way, weighs about 200 pounds. That's a heavy sheep, man, okay? That would kill my back, but not Jesus' back. And I mean this part in all seriousness. The weight of our sin is never too much for Jesus to carry. You've got to understand that, man. The weight of our sin is never too much for Jesus to carry. And He will happily do it if we let Him. I think too often we don't want Jesus to see us in our, uh, in our sin. In our lostness. We want to get better before we come back to Him. You see, that's a misconception. You see, we can't Get ourselves unlost. We don't have the ability. We can't get ourselves clean enough. We can't get rid of our sin enough without Jesus. You see, that's why he comes looking for us and he has a celebration with all his friends when the sheep is found. Jesus cares more about his reunion with His sheep than the sin that separated them in the first place. Does Jesus want you to sin? No, people, because it pushes you away from Him. Does He care more about you coming back to Him? Oh, yeah. And He's not holding your sin against you. He's not, you you know, He doesn't belittle a sheep when He finds a stupid sheep. Make me have to come out here again for the 50th time. He doesn't hold a grudge against us because we got ourselves lost. He's just happy that we're found. Jesus tells us that we will be happy when we realize our need for Him. Jesus is happy when we let him take care of our needs. And the greatest need that you and I have is getting unlost. And so Jesus gives us the solution to that problem in verse 7. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's a word in that verse that uh, most people think of has a negative connotation. How about that? It's the word repent. Uh, some of my older students we used to have a guy that would come on campus and speak a circle and scream at people, Repent, sinner! Repent! Amazingly enough, that did not go over well. I mean, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Kind of like that Pharisee. May have been true, but uh, was really, really wrong. I need you to understand that the word repent is not condemning in any way. See, in the Greek, repent means to change modes. To change one's mind for the better. Keep it simple. Think of your TV remote. You change channels when you want to see something different. You change the function when Tyler wants to play his PS4. you change purpose. You see, when we say repent, it's simply to kind of recalibrate your lives and ask yourself, you know, have I gone off path? Have I ran from God? And then at that point, when you figure out, yeah, I have, then we change our minds. And we switch our modes to be back in line with Him. We are all lost, and guess what? Everyone needs to repent. I've heard sin described as a subtle wandering. I think a lot of us, we hear the word sin, and we kind of tie it to those notorious sinners, like the big sins. But sin includes those subtle things the arrogance, the pride. The things that the Pharisees dealt with. Those are things that cause us to have separation between us and the Lord. See, everyone needs to have a lifestyle of repentance, not just a moment of repentance make no doubt you do have a choice to make that's part of being human but it's a continual choice in our lives to daily come back to Jesus daily say what do you want Lord and if you messed up I'm sorry can we be good again